You may be seated. Thank you, band. Amazing job. Incredible work. Thank you, team behind. God is good. God is faithful. It is great to have you with us. My name's Dave. For those of you who don't know me, uh, it is a joy to be here to bring the word this morning uh, or this evening or whenever it is that you're watching this thing. So we're just praying a blessing upon you. Um, we are in a series on the book of Jeremiah, and those of you who are astute would know that two weeks ago I preached on Jeremiah chapter 18, the potter's hand messed up but in the master's hand, and then last week Mark preached on Jeremiah 32, and some of you may have been thinking, what the heck, you lazy bone church, how can you possibly preach the book of Jeremiah and miss chapter 29? But those of you who have leather-bound Bibles would know that if you follow it chronologically, chapter 29 is actually positioned after chapter 32. So we didn't skip it. Never fear. Don't worry. We're coming right there this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29, a powerful, powerful uh, proclamation of God's promise to his people. Let's go there now. If you have the word, Jeremiah 29, we're going to read from Verse 1 through 14, so we're going to cover a fair chunk as we get to the word. It's a letter to the exiles. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and leaders of Judah and Jerusalem the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisar, son of Shaphana, you love biblical names, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And this is what it said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. They are, uh, I have not sent them, declares the Lord. But this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Someone should be quoting this in their home. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from cactus captivity i will gather you from all the nations and places where i've banished you declares the lord and i will bring you back to the place from which i carried you into exile amen how many of you know that context brings clarity 
Context brings clarity. Context is huge. I uh, had the privilege of a young man. I'm one of five children and my brother Phil and I shared a room until the age of our early 20s until I got, I got married and moved out. So we shared a room for many, many years, had a lot of fun in those times. And there was one particular night I remember because sometimes what happens is when you're sharing a room with your brother, you don't sleep well because your brother snores very, very loudly. Uh, and if it's a marriage relationship, you get to kick your wife or husband and roll them over. But when you're in separate beds across the room, you have to have a particular technique. And our technique was that you'd have an Ugg boot and you'd throw the Ugg boot at that brother to get them to shut up so that you could go to sleep. And this one particular night, I remember I'd been out late. I had had a game. I'd been out late. Uh, and then I snuck in at sort of 2 a.m. I think it was, went to bed completely unaware of anything else that was going on. I was in my little bubble. I was tired. And so I went to bed and at, I don't know, it must have been five in the morning. I'm woken up to this horrific snoring that Phil's doing. So I wake up, I grab my Ugg boot and I fling it across the room and I smacked him right in the face and it was bang on. And I was like, you beauty, I could roll over and go. So, and Phil shot up like a lark. I remember thinking, jeepers, that was a big response. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, but I didn't care because I was tired, so I rolled over and went to sleep. The next morning, I discovered that Phil had been in quite a significant car accident the night before. And I'd been in my little bubble. I didn't even realise that when I went to bed, he still wasn't back. He'd been in hospital. He'd only literally just got home. His face was quite I'm going to use the word munted. His nose was spread across his face. He wasn't in a great way. Of course he was snoring. And when I hit him in the face with an Ugg boot from distance and he shot up, there was a reason why he shot up. And unfortunately, he didn't really go back to sleep that well after that. Context brings clarity. You see, if I had known that Phil had been in a car accident, I would not have thrown an Ugg boot and hit him in the face and I would have understood why he leapt up when said Ugg boot landed on his face. And I would have realised in the right context that my actions were inappropriate and my understanding of the event were completely misguided. But what happens is when we get in our own little bubble and we just think only about our world, we're in our own little context and we're not looking at the broader context, in that moment I was like, I'm perfectly justified in this. I'm perfectly justified in this action because he's annoying me and I need to sleep. But in hindsight, if I had context, I would realise that actually I was completely unjustified in that action and I should never have thrown the Ugg boot because he deserved to snore because of what he'd been through. Context brings clarity. Do you know what? The same is true for, for life. When we actually have context and we actually understand where people are coming from, we actually understand uh, someone else's situation. When we put our feet in their shoes, then we can actually begin to speak into events with understanding. We can speak with wisdom. We can gain clarity. And if we don't have context, what we have is confusion. I think we're seeing that in our world right now is that people are speaking and acting with no context and no understanding. This is why I posted the other day, we have two ears and one mouth. We need to learn and pray that we learn to listen before we speak. And you know what? The same is actually true of Scripture, of any historical document. If we don't have context, we will find that ourselves confused. But where there is context, we will get clarity. And I think this is perhaps no truer than this beautiful passage that is before us today. Because what we have, I don't know about you, but I have grown up, I remember being in youth rallies and I have seen many an 
energetic, enthusiastic young preacher standing before a crowd of people saying, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And basically preaching to these crowd of enthusiastic teenagers who are going through stuff saying, if you come to Jesus, all your suffering will be gone. You will have health, wealth and magnificence of life. And this is what gets proclaimed and it's, it's with good intention, but it's with no context. People are preaching a word without understanding to whom and in what situation this word was actually proclaimed. And it actually becomes really dangerous. I have friends, I have seen people walk away from the faith because they've grown up with a theology that says, I know the plans I have for you. God becomes my genie in a bottle. And when I have a need, I go to God and His promise is to prosper me in that situation. And therefore, God will answer that prayer and remove this situation. He'll remove that thorn. He'll, he'll make my life all rainbows and lollipops and all is swell. And when that doesn't happen, they say, well, God must be false because He's not true to His promise. My prayer today as we come to this passage is that we will see the context We'll understand the promise and what we will catch is actually a deeper revelation of truth. That we will begin to see that when dark days hit, no, that doesn't have to shake our faith. Rather, that will strengthen our faith. That we will dive in deep, that we'll find our feet standing on solid ground. So that we don't have confusion, but we have clarity in the hope of a future in the hope of the plans God has for his people. And so this is what we come to today, this beautiful passage of Scripture. And we're going to seek to understand the context that we can gain clarity. And the context is really fascinating. You see, Judah, the nation of Judah, Jerusalem, we've talked a bit about this, but as we come to chapter 29, they have been exiled. They are no longer there. Babylon has come. They've laid Siege to the city, as we heard last week, and they have come in and they have completely annihilated this nation. The city is destroyed. The, the city's lying in ruins. The people have been murdered. Their, their properties have been pillaged. Their women have been raped. Their children have lost their innocence. Like this has been a, a horrific thing that has happened. And what Babylon has done is they have taken all of the significant leaders of that nation and they've carried them back to the land far, far away in the nation of Babylon. Every politician, every artisan, every leader, every business owner, every up-and-comer, all the scientists, everyone who has any sort of capacity or leadership on their life, all of these people who are perceived to have influence and impact have been carted out of that city and all that is left is the remnant. And these, these exiles taken off to this new land so they don't know the language, they don't know the customs, they don't know the people or the practices, their worship is gone, their temple is gone, they don't even know the food they're being out They're an agricultural society and they don't know how to grow, they don't know the irrigation, they don't know anything about this land. And they're off in this land. And in this land... You could say they were completely desolate. There is no hope. And we need to understand that in this space, as Judah's living in this space, there's three dudes who step into the picture. Three prophets, Hananiah, Zedekiah, and Ahab. And these guys have been speaking a word to the people of hope. They've been saying, 
all through the last, you know, Jeremiah's time, when Jeremiah's saying that, uh, that it's ruin is coming, that we need to repent, that we need to return to the Lord. And these guys were saying, no, no, it's prosperity. It's wealth. You're okay. God's going to be good. And now that they're in exile, these same guys are now saying to the exiles, they're saying, hey, don't stress. It's only going to be two years. God's going to deliver us from this. Don't you worry about it, Judah. Just stay where you are. You're going to be okay. God's good. He's going to deliver you. And so the people are holding on to this hope that I'm in exile, but it's only going to be a tiny period of time. God's going to deliver me because God's a good God. And he will come through for his people. And then the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. The guy, interestingly, who is still in Jerusalem. When the leaders have been carted off, Jeremiah's in Jerusalem. Babylon were fine for Jeremiah to stay where he was. It says something interesting about this man's ministry. And God comes to Jeremiah, who's been telling them all along, repent because this is going to happen. And when it finally happens, the people still aren't believing him. And he comes to him and he says, dude, it's time to write a letter. And so Jeremiah sits down and he pens a letter, which effectively says, hey, People, get comfortable. This is going to be a while. This exile, this season of suffering, this difficulty that you're walking through, this wilderness, it's going to be a while. God is good. God is faithful. God has a plan. He has a hope that you can hold on to. But you're going to have to learn to hold on to it because it's going to be a while. That hope is not coming to your generation. That hope is coming to the next generation. 70 years. But if you learn to walk in this wilderness, if you learn to obey the Lord, if you come back to the roots that you were created for, if you start to follow Jesus, if you start to get rid of the malpractice, if you start to trust in Him again and follow Him again, then the favour of God will come on my people and my people will walk back into this land. But it's going to be a while and you've got a choice. You can just trust these false prophets and you can stay in your little corner and you can forsake the way of the Lord and just hold on to false hope or you can learn to walk in the wilderness. And if you're sitting with someone today and you want to announce the title of this message or you're a note taker and you want to write that down, right there is the title of this message, How to Walk in the Wilderness. How to walk in the wilderness. It's a powerful message. Because let me tell you, brothers and sisters, at some point in life, you might not go off to Babylon, but everyone goes into exile. If you've got air in your lungs and blood in your veins, there will be a season in your life where you will experience some kind of exile. And maybe you have few, maybe you have a hope that you're going to grow a family. Maybe you have a hope that you're going to meet the woman of your dreams. Maybe you've got a hope that your business is going to flourish and then you've got plans in place and everything's going well and then all of a sudden you step into a doctor's office and out comes a diagnosis you never saw happening. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you've suffered an accident or illness. Maybe divorce, depression, despair. At some point in time, everyone experiences some kind of exile. 
And the word of the Lord, which comes to Jeremiah in chapter, chapter 29, is that I am with you. God is faithful, but in the midst of your exile, you need to learn to walk in the wilderness. You need to learn how to walk in your exile. How do we live? How do we behave? How do we follow God in a season of suffering? How do we trust Him in this place and why? And this is what the word is, is not that suffering will not come to God's people. No, it's that exile is coming. You're going to be in there for a while. You will face stuff. But there's a way that we should live and there's a promise that comes with that way. So here's what we're going to say. I'm going to run through this verse by verse. Here's the first thing that Jeremiah would give to those who are living in exile, those who are walking in the wilderness. First thing is this, simply keep on keeping on. Let's go verse four to six. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. What he's saying, he's saying, guys, keep on keeping on. You're in exile. Yes, you're going through some stuff, but don't give up. Don't just throw your hands up in the air and say, oh, well, hope is lost. Don't just throw your hands up in the air and say, well, where's God in all of this? No, God is with you. God is there. God is, like you might be in a foreign land, but he's not a foreign God. He's for you, yes. He's with you, yes. But keep on keeping on because his plans for you involve exile. His plans for you involve Babylon. They involve that journey because in that journey, he's saying, hey, I'm gonna do stuff in and through you. So build houses settle down keep on keeping on keep investing keep increasing keep sowing good seed keep stand I know you're hurting but stand up and put one foot in front of the other because if you keep walking you will see the deliverance and the favor of God in this season and you'll see it for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation because the promise is that if you learn to walk in the wilderness now, 70 years from now, the people that you've been praying for, your grandchildren and your grandchildren's grandchildren will see you. They'll see the way you're living. They'll see the way you respond to cancer. They'll see the way you respond to divorce. They'll see the way you respond to depression. They'll see the way you respond to shock and awe and difficult times. And they'll say, hey, that's someone worth following. That's some footsteps. I want to walk in and you'll leave a generational inheritance of gospel good news get up and keep walking and this is so important like Psalm 137 I don't know if you if you know Psalm 137 but Psalm 137 was written by the exiles let's go there can we go there I forgot to tell you this uh, Jess but this is going to test you as you try and get this up on the screen Psalm 137, written by the exiles, it says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. This is a people who worship. This is their, their religion was, was this music and worship was so powerful and they've hung their instruments. They're not worshipping anymore for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormented demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And they're saying, we can't do it. We can't worship God. But what the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, to the exiles is, don't let your praise be determined by your predicament. No, let your praise be determined by the promise of God that He is faithful and He is good. And whether you're in a foreign land or whether you're thriving right now, you've got to shout, give a shout of praise for who God is, not for the situation that you find yourself in. And Psalm 23 is such a great thing to hold on to hope because it says, hey, I'm going to lead you to green pastures and I'm going to lead you to still waters. But guess what? I'm also going to lead you through a valley. He doesn't say I'm going to bypass the valley. He says, even though I walk through, we need to learn what to do when we're on the way through. I'm going to lead you through the valley, through the valley. And guess what happens through the valley? God says, I'll prepare a table before you where? In the presence of my enemies. He doesn't say, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of all your friends and family. No, he says, I'm going to prepare a table. I'm going to prepare a table in the presence of enemies, in your exile, in Babylon, when you're struggling, when you're going through stuff. If you learn to walk in the wilderness, if you learn to shout praise, if you learn to pray, if you learn to hold on to this promise of God that I am for you, that I have a plan for you, plans to give you a hope and a future, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, then you will leave this powerful inheritance to the next generation. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Second thing, pray for your persecutors. Verse 7, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Wow. You know, somebody's just at home and they're saying, Dave, I like it when you're talking about giving praise in the middle of your predicament. I like it when you're saying, hey, keep on keeping on and press on. But I don't think I can find that part in my Bible that says I need to pray for those who persecute me. He says, pray for those who persecute you. This is Babylon we're talking about. This is the nation that came. This is, they came and they obliterated God's people. These are murderous. These are rapists. These are horrendous. The the things they did, I'm not going to say them here. The things they did, despicable beyond measure. The way they treated the people of God. And now that these people are in exile, Jeremiah has the gall to say, pray for them and not pray that God would rebuke them, not pray that God would send down the fire of heaven to destroy them. Pray for the peace of the city. Do you know what that word is? It's the word shalom. The word shalom means the fullness of the kingdom of God. Pray for the fullness of the kingdom to come upon those who are persecuting you. That is heavy stuff, but it's so good. Why should we pray for those who persecute us? Why should we do it? Because guess what? This I had like God showed me this this week, and I was like, wow, I hope it's a wow for you. But I just realized because God cares for them as much as he cares for you. God loves them as much as he loves you. 
God loves the person who's coming against me just as much as he loves me. His heart is just as much that they would know his grace and favor and love as it is that I would know it. That is God's heart. God created humanity. He wants to bless them. And when the people of God start to pray for those who are persecuting and we pray for shalom and we pray for the kingdom to be made manifest in their lives, in the midst of pain, in the midst of torment, in the midst of difficulty, when that person experiences the shalom of God, guess what happens? Not only are they blessed, but you're blessed. I'm blessed. When the person who's coming against me experiences the favor of God, then that makes my situation better too. It says it right here. If the city prospers, you too will prosper. So let's stop praying for judgment. Let's stop praying that God would condemn them. And let's start praying blessings over those who are hurting us and harming us. There's power in that. There's such power in that. This is the the message of Martin Luther King Jr. to pray for those who come against us, to stand strong in our values and beliefs, but pray for them. Believe that God will change hearts. And as God changes hearts and transforms lives, it changes not just our little situation, but the entirety of, it can change the world. If Babylon gets Restored, if Babylon experiences shalom, then the entire world is transformed. But it involves the people of God praying for its persecutors, standing up and declaring favor and shalom in the midst of a wilderness season. I'm not saying it's easy, but gosh, it reminds me of someone else in Matthew 5, doesn't it? What did Jesus say? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. I want to invite you right here, right now. I just feel this on my spirit right now, wherever we are. We just need to pray. We just want to give you a little pray break. We're going to have a pray break. You've heard of a praise break, but we're going to have a pray break. Wherever you are, I'm going to give you one minute silence right now. And I want you to pray. And if you're sitting with some people, I want you to pray in your rooms. I want you to pray pray for the city. Pray for Babylon. Whatever that Babylon is, pray for those who are coming against you. Pray for those who are harming you. Pray for the world in which we live. Let's pray for the prosperity of the city. Let's pray for these people. Let's believe for transformation. Let's believe for the kingdom of God to be made manifest on the earth. Let's do it now in Jesus' name. Father, we lift, we lift this to you now in Jesus' name. We pray for shalom. We pray for the shalom of this earth. Father God, we pray for those who we do not understand and whose actions we cannot fathom. God, we pray for those who have hurt us. We pray for those who have put the knife in the back. We pray for those who have let us down. And we declare peace and prosperity that it may go well with them, that they might have a revelation of the love of God in Christ and have their lives transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, it's so important. It's so powerful. We've experienced this in our lives. We experienced this with people who were living next door to us and they were making our life difficult. And I remember coming home one day after we were praying and we were like, like, God, you got to do something here because this isn't easy. And I remember having my neighbor standing on the front lawn. I thought, oh, here comes a confrontation. And he I stepped out of my car after we'd been praying for probably a couple of weeks. And he just goes, man, I just need to apologize. And we've got this fabulous relationship now. That's the power of prayer. Change the landscape. Pray for those who persecute you. Number three, 
Number three is consider your counsel. Verse eight. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Friends, not every person who comes to you and says, hey, God's told me, is speaking the truth. Not every person who comes to you with a word in season is a a word that should settle on your soul. We need to learn to discern what is of God and what is of man or woman. We need to learn to recognize what is the word of the Lord. Because there's a lot of people who are going to come up to you in your situation. When you're in a wilderness situation, trust me, people are going to come and go, hey, hey, the Lord's saying this. I am very wary. Whenever anyone comes up to me and says, oh, God's told me. And I'm like, has he? Has he really? Let's discern that. Let's pray that. The Bible says, test the spirits. We need to be discerning. Here's the fascinating thing. You know, these three guys, Hananiah, um, Zedekiah, and, and Ahab, all three of these guys at one point in time were actually bona fide prophets of the Lord. All three of them were recognized as prophets of God at one point in time in, in Judah's history. What's happened? Like, these are, like not everyone who, has a, who is a false prophet is a devil. Not everyone you can just discern and go, whoa, you're a bad person. No, quite often you're like, They've got well, they're good intention, they're good people with good hearts, they're trying to, you know, they they think they're doing the right thing. We just need to learn to discern what is of God and what is not of God. And here's the trick. At the end of Jeremiah, if you keep reading, it says where these guys fell off, where these guys lost their way, it says that they no longer sought the counsel of God. They no longer got into into the presence of God. Jeremiah waited. Jeremiah waited on the Lord. He did not speak unless he spoke from a place and posture of prayer. These other guys, they were famous. Things were going well. They had the respect of the people. They had a posture and a position of power and authority in that place. And so they were standing up and they were declaring promises. And people were like, oh, this guy's awesome. He's speaking blessing and favor. And things were fantastic. And everything was going well for them. But Jeremiah sought the presence of the Lord. And friends, be very careful. The word that you receive in your spirit, test it. If it does not align with this, and if it doesn't come from a place of prayer, then you need to learn to sweep that thing out of your heart. Do not let it settle. Catch the word of the Lord. And you know, the problem was that the people of Israel, why did they receive these words? Why did they follow after these prosperity preachers? Why, did they, why were they so drawn to this false gospel this false word because they too were not seeking the counsel of the Lord and if you're not in a posture of prayer you won't be able to discern when a word comes from someone who also isn't in a posture of prayer but if you are in a posture of prayer if you're seeking God and you're in the word then when a false word comes you're able to recognize it for what it is you're able to say no 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 no. you're able to sweep that thing away and you can discern truth when truth is heard amen so we need to learn to get good counsel. Be careful from whom we receive counsel. Let's get good counsel. Amen? Fourth thing. Fourth thing. And the band, you can come up in a second. We need to learn to see the tapestry. Verse 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon. 70 years. 
I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You know, so often this concept of plan is so misunderstood because we don't let Scripture interpret Scripture. So often this idea of plan is is taught as if God is literally in charge of every single decision. He's mapping out every single decision that you make. That God is like predetermined the fact that you're having eggs on toast right now. That God is predetermining the fact that all these little things are going to happen. That's not biblical. And I'm happy to debate theology with you till the cows come home if you want to. But it's not biblical and it's not true. That's not what this passage is saying. The plan of God is about the people of God. The you here in Jeremiah is to the people. It is a plural you. It's talking about God's plan for His people. It's talking about God's sovereign plan. Is it God's plan? That that idea that God has mapped every single step of every single person, is it then God's plan for children to die of starvation all across the world? Is it God's plan for children to be abused by drunken fathers? Is it God's plan for young husbands and wives who have just started a family to be dying of cancer. Is that God's plan? No, it's not God's plan. That is the result of sin and the curse on the earth. But the plan of God, see God allows choice in humanity. God allows choice and choice has brought sin and it's brought a curse and it's brought destruction. But that doesn't mean God's not sovereign. That doesn't mean that God's not powerful because God has a plan. And that plan is to bring to himself a people and to restore all things unto himself. His plan is that in the midst of our decisions, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of pain and hardship and exile and wilderness, that God in Christ is working all things together for the good for those who love him. His plan is an eternal heavenly Zion that His people will live in for all creation. That is His plan. And as a shadow of His plan, we see in the promised land of Israel. But they walk through a wilderness first. The shadow of His plan is in the return from exile of His people. But they were in exile for 70 years. The shadow of His plan is the temple worship sacrificial system. But the fullness of His plan is found in Christ. And we need to understand when we read Scripture, yes, it's talking about real life, true events, and it speaks powerfully into their exact circumstance because Judah did return after 70 years. This is a word for that nation, but it's also a shadow. Look at the book of Hebrews. It's a shadow about the eternal, glorious, perfect plan that God has since before the creation of the world that He would come and that He would suffer exile that He would die on a cross, that He would suffer at the very hands of the creatures that He created so that we might know the fullness and the love of God in Christ and we might have eternal security, that He might bring us into the eternal promise of hope. 
I know the plans I have for you. Yes, they are to prosper you and they are to give you a hope and a future. But a hope that is seen is not a hope. A hope is what we see in faith. And in faith, we know that our God did not forsake us in exile. He exiled Himself that we too might walk in the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12. And walk in the fullness of all that God has bought for us in Christ. I had this picture the other day as we were in prayer. If you want to join us at 6.30 on Zoom to pray, it is being life to my bones. And God wrecked me the other morning. And I hope He might wreck me now. He gave me this picture. See, so often that I know the plans I have for you. And so often this, God's working all things together for the good, is thrown out just as an off-the-cuff comment of us as we're sitting in our comfort. I was talking to someone who is in deep pain. And I had this picture actually that Jesus was coming to her and he was wrapping her up in his arms, but he wasn't the Jesus, the glorious King we see in Revelation. He was bleeding, torn. His face was messed up, dripping in blood. And he wrapped his arms around her and he said, I'm working all things together for the good for those who love me I'm working all things I have a plan and it is to prosper you it is not to just remove you from this exile it is not to just remove you from your suffering and make your life comfortable and cozy I suffered that you would know that you're not alone And I did it to bring you home. One day, 70 years, spiritually, whatever that is, I will bring you home. And exile has this funny way of doing things to us. Because what exile does is it actually causes us to remove everything that's non-essential and to hold on to the one thing that's still standing. And guess what? For this people of Judah who had been chasing after idols and chasing after nonsense and chasing after everything else, God's exile, God put them into exile. He put them into exile because of their forsakenness of Him. But guess what? Exile became God's grace. Exile became the means through which they realized the folly of their ways and they clung to the one thing they had. They returned to the Lord. They gave back to God. Everything that was due, his name. And I wrote down Habakkuk 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It might seem slow, but wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. You know, the people of God, the, Judah, the people of Judah in this season, they learned to seek the Lord. They learned to seek the Lord. Exile was the means through which they again learned to seek the Lord. And he says that when you do this, I will listen. You will find me. 
I will be found by you and I will bring you back from captivity and I will gather you from everywhere, everywhere you've been banished, every person who's suffering from exile, everywhere you've been, I will bring you back. But you've got to seek me first. You've got to learn to walk in the wilderness. I'm shaking it all. And friends, I just wanted to encourage you today to see the tapestry. So often we get caught in our little moments. So often every time that needle pierces the loom, we see the thread and we say, where is God? But if we could just step back, you might just catch a glimpse of the masterpiece. For now we see through a dark glass, a glass darkly, but then we will see in full. How good is that? A day is coming when exile will make sense. But in the meantime, know that God has a plan for His people. A plan to prosper you and not to harm you. A plan to give you a hope and a future. How good's our God? That's the context of this passage. God's not coming just to make your life all bells and whistles and shiny. But He has come. And He will come again to bring you home. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, I did not expect that this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promise. I thank you that you are good. And I thank you that to a people in exile, a people confused, a people suffering, you brought a word that said, I know the plans I have for you. I'm weaving my tapestry. And you might not be able to see the beginning from the end. And it might be difficult to understand, but my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are above your thoughts, but I have you. I have you in my hands. So keep walking. Keep on keeping on. Learn to give a shout of praise in the midst of your predicament. Learn to feast on the fullness of the table that I've prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. Learn to pray for those who are coming against you. Learn to seek good, wise counsel. Learn to be a prayerful people. Get on your knees. Give me just 5, 10, 15, whatever you can. Give me the first fruit of your day. Choose me first. Forsake the world and choose me because it is there that you will find what you are looking for. You will find hope. You will find meaning. You will find an anchor for your soul, firm and secure, unshakable, unchanging, ever true. It will come to pass. It will come to pass. That's what it says in the Bible over and over again. It says, it came to pass. It doesn't say it came to stay. It says it came to pass. The exile will come to an end and you will walk in the fullness of the promise of all that God has bought for us in Christ. Can we learn to walk in the wilderness, church?
Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honour you. We thank you. We give you everything. We give you our lives. Take our lives in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name. I just feel to encourage. I know we've got to close, but Ben told me I could keep preaching. I just feel to, like, I need to pray for some people. And we've got a little chat. You can comment on that chat. If you want prayer, please message us. We would love to get around you. But if you're someone who doesn't know this hope, if you do not know the hope of Jesus, if you feel like your life is in a whirlwind and you're being spun out of control and you have no hope, I want to tell you today that God has a plan. And that plan is to redeem you. That plan is to rescue you, to bring you into the eternal glorious hope of His promise in Christ. And if you want to receive, all it is is by faith. All it is is saying, yes, Lord, I receive that. I believe that Jesus came, that He died for me, that He suffered for me, but that He rose again on behalf of, uh, he, he paid a death that I could not, um, that, that I was destined to die, but he, he, he defeated death by rising again and living in full glorious life, a life that I couldn't live and I get to receive his life by faith in him. If that's you, I don't invite you to receive Jesus as Lord. And you can just put a comment in our comment box saying, yes, I want Jesus. And we're going to pray for you now, loving Heavenly Father. We surrender these people to you. We thank you that you are in the business of saving lives, of transforming lives, of renewing lives and redeeming lives. No matter the circumstance, no matter where we're at, whether we're in exile or whether life is excellent, you are with us, you are for us and you are redeeming us. And so we thank you for these lives saved today in Jesus' name. And if you want any other prayer, if you just feel like if God's touched you, please message us. We've got a team. We'd love to pray with you. We love you. God bless you. Go in the grace and favour of our God. Let's worship. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.